Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. thing we can be assured of. If God is actively at work, pretty soon Satan gets busy also. Amen. Some of you guys, you know that ministry-wise, you know that family-wise, you know that personally, that when God starts moving, the enemy wants to do anything and everything he can to distract, to disrail, to destroy the work of God in your life. And it's no different here. Whatever your focus or intent is set on, that's what will consume you to the fullest. If you're wrapped up in your possessions, you'll just crave more of that until it devours you from within. What if you could be enamored with something in a good way? Today, Pastor David states that when your fixation is on the things of God, your perspective skews toward using your earthly possessions in ways that honor Him. Even if God's ways are different than your own, it's best to hand things over to Him. And here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 16 as he continues his message, Possessed by God or by the World. dyed that Lydia was involved with. That was of great value. It was very expensive clothes when they were dyed in the color purple, uh, primarily associated with royalty because of the cost. Um, the making of the purple dye, very time-consuming, very labor-intensive. The color um, was extracted two different ways. In the area of Sidon, which is north of Israel, they actually got the purple color from a little snail, from the secretions of that snail, they would be able to get the dye uh, to make the uh, color purple. In the area of Thyatara, there was also the availability of a color there for purple, but that was actually from the root of a particular plant that grew in the area. But still, both of those things, very time-consuming, very labor-intensive, so it was very expensive. So Lydia, she has this very profitable business. But the interesting thing, and the thing I want you to get as we look at this this morning, is Lydia was not possessed by the business or by her prophets. Lydia was one who worshiped God. And the Lord opened up her heart to be able to heed the things that were spoken by the Apostle Paul. She received the gospel message. She received the hope of the gospel. And so she received the knowledge of the forgiveness of her sins. And in obedience to the word of God, she and her household were baptized. Now again, I want to be very clear. They were not baptized in order to gain or receive their salvation. They were baptized in obedience to the word of the Lord after 
they're receiving the forgiveness that was offered by God. We don't know how this was all transferred to her family. I don't believe that her family was baptized simply because Lydia was baptized. But I do believe that, again, the influence that Lydia had, not only in the community, but in particular to her household, the influence of the new life that she had impacted her family. We don't know the number of days here. We read this and it's just like sentence after sentence after sentence and we might think, well, boom, she heard it, they got baptized and boom, boom. Well, it may have been days before all of this took place. But again, her family, she and her family were in obedience. They were baptized. Again, as a sign of her heart that had changed, as a sign of the outpouring of her new life in Jesus, she begged this missionary team. She said, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay, Luke says. And so she persuaded us. I think Luke was probably tired of sleeping on the road and it'd be kind of nice to have a house to stay in. So she persuaded us. All of this, again, uh, all that she had, I believe she understood. It was the Lord's, everything that she had all that she had ever received in life. I believe Lydia was the kind of person, she realized, no, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father in heaven. And again, our realizing, our understanding that there's nothing we have, but that God has given it to us. And so Lydia, the same way, and once again, she's not possessed by her possessions. She is possessed by God, who has given her these possessions to be a good steward of. There's no doubt that there had been an immediate and a very evident change in Lydia's life. And whatever it was, however it was demonstrated, it was apparent to those that knew her, it was apparent to her household, it was apparent to this missionary team. No doubt, uh, we find right here, hospitality becomes a major portion of Lydia's life in Christ. She invites these four missionaries to come, stay at her house. And again, I believe that that's symbolic of her status even in the city. Apparently, she was prosperous enough to be able to have a house big enough to be able to house these four men, but not only the physical size of the house, she probably had plenty of servants to be able to take care of the physical needs, the feeding, the washing of the clothes, the caring for the needs of these men. All of that there, Lydia was able to do. Now, one of the other things we find out a little bit later on in this passage, down in verse 40, it kind of gives us a hint that maybe the first church there in Philippi actually met in Lydia's house. Look down there in verse 40. If you know the story, Paul and Silas, eventually they get arrested, get put in prison, but they get out of prison. Down in verse 40, it says, when they went out of the prison, they entered the house of Lydia and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Well, a lot of uh, commentators look at that and say that very likely Lydia in her prosperity had a home that was big enough to house these new believers so that they could come and worship together. So as Paul and Silas went back to Lydia's house after being in prison, meeting with the brethren there, meeting with that new formed church that had begun there. Remember, her household had already believed and were baptized and undoubtedly others could have been in that group. They're meeting at her house. How long Paul and the others were in Philippi before the trouble began, 
we really don't know, but one thing we can be assured of. If God is actively at work, pretty soon Satan gets busy also. Amen? Some of you guys, you know that ministry-wise, you know that family-wise, you know that personally, that when God starts moving, the enemy wants to do anything and everything he can to distract, to disrail, to destroy the work of God in your life. And it's no different here. It doesn't take long before Satan will do all that he can to knock things off track and to stop the work of the ministry and the hope of the gospel any way that he can. There's no doubt that uh, most ministries uh, uh, take the opportunity to let the community know what's going on in their church. I mean, you're a new ministry. You want your community to know what's going on in your church. Uh, there's a, an assorted ways of letting the community know about what's going on in your new ministry. Today, we use social media. We use a lot of social media here to try and let people in our community know what's going on. But still, outside of social media, outside of the, the printed word, the best way to let people know what's going on in your church and in your ministry is simply by word of mouth, by word of mouth. I meet visitors all the time that come here, and it's not so much, oh, we accidentally found you on the web, as much as it is, hey, my uh, neighbor said, you ought to try this church out. Or, hey, uh, a friend of mine comes to this church, and so we tried. Word of mouth, it's a lot like the old saying goes. It's simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And that's exactly where we're at here. We're all beggars in search for bread, and hopefully you get fed through the word of God, the bread of life. Well, advertising is fine, but what happens when the advertising or the publicity that you get for your ministry isn't really the kind that you want? When it appears as though it's actually coming out in kind of a mocking way, or there's some kind of an evil intent behind the communication. Well, politicians would say, you know, any publicity is good publicity, but that's not true when, you, when you're talking about the word of God and the ministry of God. When the enemy of the work of God is advertising in the community about your church, guess what? I think there's something wrong. Uh, you don't want that. Luke writes for us here, beginning down in verse 16. Similar thing happening for the work of these missionaries there in Philippi. In verse 16, he writes, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us, crying out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. This young girl, she's, she's demon-possessed, and she was being used by her owners, again, to, to make money through this work of fortune-telling. What a sad situation this girl was in, really and truly. Not only was she a slave to some ungodly masters, but she was also demon-possessed. This guy was possessed from both directions, physically and spiritually. The fact that Luke brings out here that... Uh, she had a plural of masters, uh, not one, but masters, kind of gives us a hint of 
how much money she's probably making for them. It seems kind of like this young girl became a joint commercial venture for some of these men within the city of Philippi. Now, in the Greek language there where it says that she had a spirit of divination, it's actually the word pythonos, the spirit of pythonos. We get the word python, the snake, from that. And the python was actually a representation of those that were oracles or fortune tellers uh, for the, the god Apollo in, in the Greek culture. So if you had a spirit of Pythonos, again, through the god of Apollo, you are the one who's proclaiming these fortunes, and that's what's going on here. Now, you need to understand, the Greeks and the Romans, they took great stock in the words of these oracles. Uh, you want to go find an oracle if there's anything going on. If you're a new couple and you've tried for quite a while and you're not having any luck with having any children, you want to go to the oracle, find out what's going on. Uh, if you are a businessman, you're looking at starting a new business or changing something in your business, you want to go to the oracle, you want to find out what's going on. You have a teenager that you can't control, you want to go to the oracle and find out what's going on. As a matter of fact, the emperors, the military commanders, all of these, they would always go to the oracle to again, give them that information. So this girl with the spirit of Pythonos, the oracle of the god of Apollo, was again, a very good commodity for these men to be able to have control of. No doubt they were making a lot of money from the abuse of this young girl. And as we look at this, I think that when we see that there's multiple ones who own her, that she's under their control, very possibly uh, it was, uh, like I said, a joint venture. A few investors got together with enough money to purchase her, perhaps from a previous owner, and now these ones coming together, these men now uh, coming together to, again, make as much money as possible from this young girl. Uh, she was definitely, she was controlled by multiple earthly masters, but guys, she was also controlled by that demonic master, even Satan himself. This whole situation was strange. Apparently for several days, this gal had followed the missionary team around saying, oh, these men are the servants of the most high God. They've come to proclaim to us the way of salvation day in and day out and day in and day out. Now you might think, well, that's not too bad. At least you're getting the publicity, uh, and again, you don't have to pay anything for it, and she's telling them, hey, we're servants of the most high God. But the problem is, again, what she was saying and what she was actually saying are two different things. First of all, although she had been declaring, again, what appears to be, uh, at least on the outside, the truth, you need to understand that in the Greco-Roman culture, the most high God was not Yahweh, the God of the Jews, the one true God. No, the most high God for the Greco-Roman culture was actually Zeus. So when she says these guys, again, are proclaiming to us or they are servants of the most high God, these Greeks, these Romans, all they hear is these guys are servants of Zeus. Ah, nothing new here. There's a lot of servants of Zeus. Pass on, keep on walking. Nothing interesting here to have. Oh, but they are giving or they're proclaiming to us the way of salvation. Now, some 
commentaries and some translations say that they proclaim to us a way of salvation. Well, rather it is a way because there is a multiple of ways within the, the Greek culture because they had the multiplicity of gods. Or rather she actually said the way. Doesn't really matter because depending upon what God you worshiped in that culture, that was the way of salvation. You worship this God, that's the way of salvation. You worship that God, that's the way of salvation. So once again, what she is proclaiming and what this Greco-Roman culture is hearing are two different things. She is in essence advertising for them that they are simply proclaimers of these Greek gods, the, the Greek god Zeus, and sharing with you a way of salvation in essence through him. So again, not a good thing to have. At times, you need to understand, demons can and they will speak the truth, but even then, it is a veiled truth. And we hear this actually in, in an abundance of different kinds of ministries that might, again, uh, disguise themselves as Christian. They may use the Bible on occasion, but the truth that they have is actually a veiled truth, and it actually becomes a deceit. Look what happens here in verse 18. Paul being greatly annoyed. I love it. He just, look, okay, that is enough already. It says he turned and he said to the spirit, not to the girl, but to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Isn't that interesting? It's not that when their master saw that this gal was delivered from this demonic spirit that they rejoiced in her freedom. No, they cared nothing about this young girl. She was simply a commodity for them to sell to the community, her fortune telling. And now that she's no longer able to tell fortunes, they don't care about her at all. What they care about is the bottom line, the money that they're no longer going to be receiving. But actually, we do come in contact with this group of men, these owners of that young girl. These are men who were owners of an individual. They owned the slave. There were men who put profit before compassion. There were men who had taken advantage of the condition of this one that was possessed by a demon. These are men who, although they possessed the girl, they themselves were possessed also. They were possessed by the world, and in reality, they were possessed by the God of this world, Satan himself. And we see this young girl, she was set free, but these men, they actually remained in bondage. So quite the picture that we see here. When we put these two together, we see Lydia, who was a woman of great possessions, but she had already recognized that all that she possessed was really and truly the Lord's. And so she was willing to be free with and free from all of those things. She controlled them as and in the same way that she was controlled by the Spirit of God. Yes, she had control of her finances. They didn't have control of her. The young woman, 
this demonic possessed woman. She was in a position of not having a choice at all. She couldn't break free from the demons. She couldn't break free from the men who owned her. She was the possessed one, possessed by demons, possessed by men. How and when she became demon-possessed, we have no idea. But these men, these men, they had a choice. And their choice was for the things of this world. Their care, their concern, their passion was for the things of this world. And they had no compassion. They had no care for this young woman. And when this girl was set free, rather than rejoicing in her freedom, they were angered at their personal loss of profit. I want to kind of draw this to a close for us today. Because the question I want to leave you with or present you with In your life, how important are the things of this world? How focused are you personally on the things of this world? Now, you don't have to be somebody who has a lot of the things of this world to be focused on the things of this world. Maybe you don't have very much, but you would like to have a whole lot more. So suddenly your mind becomes focused on the things of this world. Or maybe in your life, through your life, God has blessed you and caused you to prosper. But rather than being focused on the one who is again, given you these things to be a steward of, you become more concerned, again, about those things. How hard do you hold on to those very things that God has blessed you with? The real question is, is are you possessed by your possessions and you desire even for more? Or are you truly and honestly possessed by the one who knows your every need, the one who clothes the lilies of the valley, the one who feeds the ravens, the one who knows when every sparrow falls. Are you committed and are you possessed by him? If you're truly possessed by the Lord Jesus Christ, then you know, you know for certain that all that you have is his anyway. You could lose it in a moment, just as you could lose your life in a heartbeat, in a single breath. All of it's his. And once you and I come to fully realize that everything that we have is his, guys, that's when we are really set free. Otherwise, we remain possessed. Maybe not possessed by a demon, but possessed by the things that control our hearts and our life. Maybe the wealth of the world. Maybe it's the desires and the pleasures of this world. What possesses you? Is it the things of this world? Or is it the one true God who created this world and has offered us life, eternal life, through Jesus Christ? What possesses you? What controls you? What leads your life? My hope, my prayer for you, is that first and foremost, you've given your heart and life to Jesus Christ. You know the forgiveness of your sin, not because you've earned it, not because you've tried a little bit harder to gain it, because in the humility of your life, you've come to the foot of the cross and you recognize that there is no way possible that you could save yourself. And you've surrendered your heart and life to Jesus Christ. You've received the forgiveness of your sin through the work of Jesus Christ.
Thank you for joining us today on The Open Word. Acts is such an interesting book about the early church and how people engaged with their newfound faith and then spread that good news to their region and the entire world. If you're new to the Bible and are unsure what this newfound faith is, you can learn more about a man named Jesus who came to save you. He came as the Son of God to save you from your sins. These early disciples in the book of Acts were elated to share with everyone what Jesus had done for each of them. They wanted others to know that kind of love too. If you want to understand this more fully, we'd like you to know that here at The Open Word, we're here for you and we're praying for you. If you have some questions, please give us a call at 520-836-9676. We'd also like to encourage you to find a church and begin attending regularly. If you live in Casa Grande, we'd love for you to come visit us. The Open Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, and we meet every Saturday at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. You're welcome to join us for a time of worship and Bible study and a time to get to know other believers and find support. Find out more when you call us. Again, that number is 520-836-9676. You can also find out more about The Open Word and listen to additional messages by visiting theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to The Open Word.